This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Welcome to the One Was Had a Dream podcast. My name is Lee Finch, uh, and as ever, we will be joined by Danny Baker. Uh, later on, uh, we will be joined by the AFC Wimbledon Academy manager, Michael Hamilton. He'll be coming on and talking and discussing all things about the academy. Uh, in the meantime, I'll introduce Danny. Danny, how are we? I'm absolutely brilliant, mate. Yeah, had a haircut. I was absolutely struggling last week. With the heat, it's been mad, and my hair gets crazy. And you, you've got a massive beard, obviously. My beard was driving me mental, so I was like, I need to get my hair cut. But um, yeah, feel pretty good. Feel re- relatively fresh. I went to Chesiton today, um, but I was at Mansfield last night. The, the so, world of adventures, or oh, it is a world of adventures there. I can tell you. Um, saw this, a Colchester fan shirt. It was quite busy actually. It was probably uh, my wife works there. Um, but yeah, it was probably about half full, but obviously got right. the little ones, only eight months. So she looked at the penguins and looked at the lions, went on a little roller coaster thing. Yeah, it was absolutely wicked. Nice, nice. Yeah, I took my, my boy, he's 13 now, but when I took him, he was about four or five. And I, we queued for an hour and a half to get on Vampire. Uh, got to the front and he weren't big enough. Oh, so no. That was, that was a bit of a killer. So yeah, an hour and a half, he wasn't big enough. Oh, no, yeah, he got right to the front and then they, they measured it. I swear I measured him at the start and I thought he was fine. But Like that Viking Greenford goalkeeper who couldn't touch the crossbar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That and was an hour and a half way. Well, they bring well. out the metal thing, don't they? The metal That's uh, it. judger, whatever it's called. And then and you're yeah, kind of he, trying to get on tiptoes, but like, not yeah, really. But yeah, an hour and a half. He was actually quite sweet about it. If I took him now, I think he'd be uh, screwing and going mad that I'd wait in queue for an hour and a half. But see, I. Talking about summer, I love this weather. It's really yeah. nice, really brilliant. But I keep getting bitten by All right. Little, I don't know what they are, but I don't know if you're the same. But I've got one leg is literally just because they're called your wife, Lee. They just that's what they normally are. Yeah, they're just basically around biting people. The, the wife, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is horrible, isn't it? I mean, it's one of these things that we kind of it's typically English, isn't it? I'm a cricket fan, so I play obviously a lot of cricket in the summer, and it's sort of 
it, you want it warm, but you don't want it too warm. It's kind of like you've got a five degree grace. You want it roughly between 15 and 20, a bit of a chill, a bit of shade. And I played cricket Saturday. It was 35 degrees. I was like, oh, my God. Three and a half hours was in the field. It was horrendous. Do you not, um, get, do you not get bored? No, no. But it was a difficult because obviously I normally go to watch Wimbledon games, but because it's near the end of the cricket season, it all gets a bit interesting. So um, I kind of played. Um no, I love it. I absolutely love it. But it is a bit cr- annoying missing the game. Right if you're batting, and then once you're out, it's boring, isn't it? Waiting for a well, while. For you, then it's a long time waiting, isn't it? I suppose. Well, no, I used to I'd open the batting. To be fair, being of course you did. Yeah, was come out bat held high. Yeah. Twenty-eight, and not I, twenty-eight off one hundred eighty-eight balls killed bowling, the game for everybody. Walked home. Bowling was medium, medium fast, medium uh, poor. <laughs> to be medium fair, I was, well. a, I was a wicketkeeper. Oh, uh, don't get on with this. No, I was. I was, I was pretty good. I don't hear anymore. I was good. I was good wicketkeeper, to be fair. Well, you sound like it. You sound like, it. You sound like you've got it all, all bases covered by the sounds of it. The bald Freddie Flintoff, they used to call me. Wow. So. There we are. The bearded Andrew Strauss. <laughs> yeah, right. Anyway, shall we get our guest on uh, and speak? Why not? Wimbledon. So our guest is, as I said, the AFC Wimbledon uh, Academy Manager, Michael Hamilton. Michael, how are we? You okay? Evening, guys. I'm well, thank you. How are you guys? Very well. Mike, what's your cricket like, mate? I was going to say, I, I agree. When you're batting, it's okay. But yeah, once you've been bowled out, um, yeah, the rest of the game, yeah, you kind of forget about it. <laughs> yeah, it's quite boring, isn't it, really? <laughs> cricket. Guys, can I get something off my chest? I've been talking about it all day and I need to, I was going to, I'm interested in Mike's opinion. It's, it is about football. So I went up to, went up to Mansfield yesterday. Um, and well done to all the women and fans who went up there. Good to see so many of, of Michael's academy playing. My, it's a broad question, but I'll give you a bit of context. What is there too many red cards in football? And the reason why I say this is that we went up the game yesterday. Gunter got sent off, which was, I don't know if you've seen it, it was a little bit, I, I, it, I thought it was quite soft. But the game was dead from that point on. Me and dad, we drove three and a half hours up, three and a half hours back. We're in a cost of living crisis, so people not being able to afford stuff. Are we at a point now where red cards, we surely, I think fans want to see a more competitive game rather than goals, goals, goals. Are we in a position now where we need to have less red cards? And obviously, I'm going to direct it at Mike. It must be challenging for you when you're trying to promote honest integrity, you know, you playing, you know, high performance. But yet, at the same time, the dark arts means you have to kind of give people awareness of it. So the question to you, Mike, straight away is, is there too many red cards? Yeah, I think the level of officiating has definitely dropped. Um, I, I saw an interview yesterday, Nigel Pearson and anyone that watched the Tottenham Chelsea game at the weekend would have seen there's probably one or two decisions there that were really questionable. Um, and the way teams, we played Stevenage on Saturday and we eventually won 5-0, but at 0-0, about 10 minutes in, one of our players had gone through in the box and He's been fouled, but because he stays on his feet, yeah. but he then hit the shot off balance, the ref doesn't give a pen. So then you're in a situation where do you, you know, you don't teach the boys to go down, but those are the dark arts, right? So by trying to be honest, you don't get a decision that you you deserve. Um and yeah, if we had gone in and lost that game one nil or something, then it then it adds a different context. But is it do you feel like it's I agree, by the way. I thought the referee against Mansfield was pretty poor. Um, and anyone who was there would probably agree with me. But at the same time, is the game doing fans justice when it costs a lot? I mean, like I said, me and my dad going up, having a bit... We literally... There was nowhere to eat in Mansfield with a burger. Driving up, driving back, it's probably the best part of 150 quid. Um, it just seems to me that a yellow card for taking your shirt off, celebrating a goal, 
ridiculous having a guy, two guys, and I, I bring in the the Palace game, the Palace Liverpool game with Nunes getting sent off. That's that that is heads touching. That's not a headbutt. We all know if a head if it's a headbutt, the guy's got claret and he's going off for all fortnight. It's just is it? Are we getting to the point now where it's going to become so soft that almost I, I can't. I don't remember. I remember when I was younger, red cards were quite rare, and it, you had to do something pretty dreadful to do it. Nowadays, you can you could technically. I mean, Lee Tomlin got sent off what in fifteen seconds for Doncaster in the first game. One because he made a foul, and one because he just flicked the ball through the bloke's legs. So it's kind of like, is no, the game? Wrong. What do you mean is wrong? Well, Lee Tomlin didn't get sent off for a foul. He got sent off for kicking the ball away. Yeah. Then he got sent off for descent to the referee. Okay. So, but what I mean is, you can get sent off for for scoring a goal and taking your shirt off and at a throw-in, just kicking the ball away, that's the same as cutting a guy down one-on-one or doing a horrendously bad tackle. It just doesn't, for me, I feel like there's something in the middle that is challenging. And again, like we go back to what Mike was saying, it's a real difficult one where you're trying to educate and teach people to be strong. Like David Fisher yesterday, example, was on the wing. I know he's one of Michael's lot. He was being really strong and honest, went for a good tackle, went in. Had he gone down, we could have got a free kick in a good position. But boy's too honest because it, that's how you should play the game. So it's just, it's such a, I, I personally feel like with how much it's costing to go to football, I I went yesterday and at half time I might as well have gone home. I said it's going to be five two. It's two two. The game's dead. Yeah, I, I disagree with what you're saying, Danny. I don't think I, uh, adults adults professional level. I think the the red card Gunter got a red card. I think it's very soft. I think they, they if he had stayed down clutching his face when the guy had kicked the ball at him, which he possibly should have done again, it, it, he's jumped back up and and pushed the guy. It shouldn't have been a red. But then, as you said, like Tomlin's been sent off because he won. He's kicked the ball away. Where'd you Where'd you do if you're one nil up in the corner and you boot the ball miles? You should be getting booked for that kind of thing, and that's the second book and you're off. I think at academy level, I don't know if Michael agrees with me on this. Is my son played a game of football? He played a year up, and he's a goalkeeper. He came running out of his goal. Uh, kid took the ball around him. He clattered into him. There was a defender but clattered into him. He got sent off, and his team ended up losing thirteen nil under 14s level that was and I said he played up a year uh, played under 14s and got sent off which I don't think but as you said the Nunes thing is for me is is not you know what I mean you can't be doing that on a foot pitch where you turn around and you put your head towards someone it's difficult on the fact that with the Nunes one in particular if you watch there's a clips Anderson is at him constantly like constantly nudging him and nudging him and nudging him I know this is word shithousery um, and it's just, it's it's so frustrating because obviously you're there to watch a spectacle. You know, me and my dad, we, like, we were looking forward to it. We left at two o'clock, went all the way up and we've gone up there and basically a, a, the guy went down. It's not a headbutt. It's, it's nothing in it. But the whole game's dead for all of the home fans who are loving it. We're, we've come a long way and it just seems to be like, for me, like if he kicks a ball away, don't send him off. Just go, you've got five minutes here. Oh, it's just boring. Go away. Yeah, but... Have five minutes off. And then that way, it stops him doing it. Gunner's got to be smart enough to... to, to oh, yeah. I'm not... Do you I mean? Not, to stay down. Yeah. He's just had the ball booted at him. Why I'm, not excluding, I'm not excluding him from blame. All I'm saying is that is not violent conduct. But, he is not in going to be in a world of trouble. And if, he, if he's about... butted him badly, fair enough. But it just seems to be... I think so... It's so soft that it's just... It's becoming... 
every game. There's there's potentially a red card in every game, and that just yeah, but ridiculous. I get that. And the, and the game is coming soft, and I, sometimes I, I can't stand watching it. Do you know what I mean? I, I I don't like watching some games because they are too soft. But I've got to say, the Chelsea Spurs game the other day, I really enjoyed watching. I really enjoyed the fact there was a little bit of needle, there was a little bit of ag. Do you know what I mean? It was a London derby, it was tackles flying in. It means something. That's it though, Lee. This is the problem. That's that, that's exactly what we as fans are after. But if you're very, very tight on what is yellows and what is reds, what eventually happens is that that, that, that so you can't just carry need on. consistency from referees, Dan. If yeah. people are wondering why Michael's not jumping in or saying anything, unfortunately. He hates him. refs, he can't talk yeah. about it. <laughs> Coming back in now, we lost him on the feed. So, uh, yeah, if you if you are wondering why me and Danny are taking up all the uh, all the all the time on here, it's because we lost Michael on the feed, but he's joining us back again now. Uh, but yeah, Danny, as we're saying, uh, I want to see that needle in the games. What I want to see though from referees is consistency. I want yeah. to see consistency from referees that. They give it like the referee yesterday. One point there was a throw in to Mansfield and it went off, hit the corner flag and went off. The guy's taking it 15 yards up the pitch, got yeah. away with it. We've yeah. tried to do the same and he's given us a foul throw and they've got the throw. It's ridiculous. Michael, I don't know if you heard what I said regarding adults football and youth football. My boy was a goalkeeper. He played a year up himself, uh, came running out of his box, halfway line, going to kick the ball, took out the player as well. And got sent off in an under-14s game of football. The game ended up finishing 13-0. And we said to the ref, like, you've literally now just ruined that game. Then kids might not come back and play football again. I think it's yeah. a deal. I think kids level, I think there should be more talking at youth level, talking to 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds, even at academy level, the ref should be talking to them. And maybe it should be a ref that they know, like, especially within London and stuff. I don't know what you think regarding that. No, I agree. I think the biggest frustration with youth football specifically, I agree. And with the academy boys, we do have a rule where if someone's about to get sent off, um, you know, we're asked to sub a player off. So it's more of a sim bin. Um, but I suppose, yeah, the biggest frustration is, is consistency. Like you said, you know, if you look at some of the challenges that Ayub receives um, <laughs> and then it, it makes it more frustrating when you know a Chris Gunter situation happens um, it's just the, it's the consistency or lack of that is the most frustrating bit um, but I agree yeah it does um, it's, it's com- at least the conversations that we've had in the academy you know uh, have we as, as developers been a little bit naive in the past you know do you start to teach the young men you know the dark hearts um, you see it in the premiership don't you where you know your Harry Canes and your Sterlings are almost looking for contact and they go down before contact's made. So it's definitely a conversation that um, has come up. And yeah, I suppose if you don't, if you don't make players aware of it, then you're going to lose out at some stage. Um, yeah. And that sounds crazy. But like I said, at, at the weekend, we had a player go through early on. He gets taken out. Well, yeah, he gets taken out, but stayed on his feet. So he doesn't get the foul. Um, but if he went down, he would have got a pen. It, it's okay because we won 5 nil. But if, you know, if, if the result is different, then, yeah, um, it, that decision comes back and bites you. Mike, just on that, I'm, uh, I'm really, really pleased that you're joining us. How important, I'm a, I'm a school teacher, if you didn't know, um, and we always talk about, you know, it's not about winning or losing, it's about the process. At what point in your, in the academy, do you feel that it's almost, the process is important, but you get to a point where football is a results game. At what point, where is, where do you find that tipping point where it goes from process, process, process to we actually need to win this game of football and how are we going to find a way to win as opposed to let's do the right things well? Where do you feel that tipping point is? It's a good question and one that um, continuously comes up in development. I, I don't see winning 
as not developing. Um, you know, no one plays a game of football or no one plays sport, especially at our level where, you know, in theory, you're, you're talking about elite um, elite young players in youth football. Um, no one plays football to lose. Um, when they're younger, we do speak about winning, but winning is about applying yourself and, and making sure you do all the things that you need to do to give you that, if accumulated, um, should equal to a positive result, you know? So yeah. um, me, once I cross the white line, making sure I give 100%, if I've got development targets, working towards those, um, you know, making sure I really attack what success looks like today. It's not about the score line, but what does happen as the boys get older is the score line does become more, 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 more of a priority, um, you know, especially when you enter leagues and, and, and tournaments. And like we said, um, you know, you don't play football to lose. No, you know, no, no one does. Um, it's, it's important whilst they're young, you keep the fun element and, you know, you keep their in, in engagement and enjoyment. Um, but they need to, we, we do ask boys to be winners, you know, make sure you conduct yourself the right way, make sure you give 100%. Make sure you leave today having attacked your development targets and applied yourself the right way. Um, and we feel over time, an accumulation of these little processes, of these little bricks should, over time, res um, result to winning. Is that what I was going to say, Michael? Because obviously, if say Jack McDonough, for example, he started in our youth team at uh, eight years old, was it? I think it was, or I think it was between eight and 12 that he started in the youth team. So we give him a, a platform, yeah. we, we treat him processes, we try and teach him to develop as a human being as well as a footballer. And then he goes off to, say, Huddersfield, where they have a totally different uh, way of dealing with things and saying, like, well, now you have to dive if you get clipped in the box. You have to kick the ball away. We don't, you know what I mean? How, how is that? How do you go about with players like that? Do you just go, that's, that's part and parcel of football nowadays? Well, unfortunately, it's part of the game. Right, you know, we're, we're talking about it, and and it is part of the game. And our job is to prepare boys for the end game. Um, the skill of the coach and the skill of the program is to make sure it's done at the right times. Um, what we feel is by, you know, when we talk about applying yourself the right way and you know having manners and working hard, we, we don't do that. To we feel by doing those things actually increases the chances of you becoming a footballer, or in, you know increases the chances of you developing the way you need to. Um, yeah, ultimately, you know, the boys in our 18s now could be in the first team within the next 6, 12, 18 months. So, you know, we would be very naive and we would almost be doing them um, a, a, a disservice if we weren't preparing them for what that looks like. Great stuff. Uh, Michael, for the people that are listening now and, and don't know too much about yourself, what, what, where is your background? Like, where, where, where have you come from with regards to football? Uh, and tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, um, I've been actually at Wimbledon for coming up to 14 years now. I've done almost every role um, possible in, in the youth development programme. And, and um, yeah, I've, I've been academy manager for the last three years. Prior to that, I was head of coaching for about two years. And prior to that, I was um, under-16s coach. So in my age group, I would have had Asaz Udagidi, Joseph Bursic, Anthony Hartigan. Um, so I've kind of done almost every role within the academy. Um, if I rewind even further, um, when I was, a, I suppose, a young man in school, and, you know, had aspirations to be in the footballer. I was around my early 20s when I, I wanted to. So I, I I got into coaching straight away and, and quite early I was afforded the opportunity to go and develop and, and work at Millwall. Um, so 
I used to work at Millwall and Wimbledon initially. And then when Wimbledon became a football league club in 2011, um, I, I obviously had to make a decision to only work with one club due to a conflict of interest and I, and I chose Wimbledon and I've been here ever since full time and like I said I've, I've worked various different roles and I've been academy manager now for yeah just coming up to three years. And what what does an academy manager do obviously we've seen you on the on the on the TV recently on the one shot program with on Sky which was great I'm just curious as to as example are you the person that decides right you know what I'm I'm gonna put forward to the manager these five names who I think are good enough I mean I'm just loosely saying what is your what is your day-to-day what is your ultimate responsibilities yeah ultimately my my, my responsibility is the development program and everything that entails in the academy so we have 130 odd boys signed from under nines up to under 18s Um, and my job is to oversee the different departments within the academy to manage the staff within that and to make sure that we're all working towards and achieving our objective so in the academy you'd have your football inside so you've got your football coaches um you've got your scouts um you'd have your performance analyst you'd have your medical and sports science provision you've also got um life skills and and, and holistic support so you know you talk about personal development and, and, and other areas like that so it entails quite a lot um a year and a half ago, I also took on the role as loans manager. So I started looking after the, the boys that were transitioning from the academy into the senior game. So I looked, at, I started to look after their development program and overseeing their loans. Um, and ultimately, the, the way I articulate is anything that goes wrong, I'm responsible for. And it's my job to manage the staff to the best of my capabilities to ensure they're the best staff that they can be, to ensure that they run their part of the academy as well as they can. Um, at the end of it, yeah, the under-18s, the under-23s, that's the tip of the iceberg, so to speak. And, yeah, when it comes down to decisions and stuff like that, ultimately it falls on my shoulders. But that doesn't mean to say I'm the, I'm the sole decision-maker. But, yeah, I'm personally responsible for the performance or lack of performance for the academy. Great stuff. My question I've got for you uh, regarding the changes that have recently happened. How hard have you found that the changes, obviously Robbo was the academy manager as well for 19 years to become the first team manager. Unfortunately, that didn't work as well. Uh, You said earlier regarding the, what's his name, Uh, Pierce, who then now has moved to Reading. How hard has it been to lose not just colleagues, but friends as well who have now moved on to other stuff? Or is it just, again, part and parcel of football that people will move on at, at a youth team level? Yeah, the, the, the one consistent in football is that something's going to change. Um, and that's what I try to voice with all the staff, you know. So it's, it's no point getting frustrated or, or annoyed by it because at some stage something is going to change. Um, obviously, with Robbo and, and James Oliver Pierce and, you know, other senior staff, um, it's, it's very un... It's, it's, it's not... It's not very regularly that you get a lot of people, a group of people <coughs> that spent so long together. So, yeah, it was a little bit of a shock. Um, you know, the new 18s coach, Simon Clark, who, who's came in and, you know, doing a good job at the moment, but that's the first time in forever. This has thrown different challenges. Um, but, yeah, it, it is, it, it, it's not, it, it's quite uncommon to have a group of people that have been together for so long um but Mark Robinson he, you know he hasn't been part of the academy for about three years and I want to see that but from an academy perspective 
um, you know, I suppose the core management group haven't changed for the last couple of years. And how does it work in terms of, you spoke about recruitment, obviously you've got boys who are young as eight, nine, 10 and girls. Um, and then you've got people going all the way up to the 18s. How do you, how does a, if a parent's listening, how, what, what is the recruitment process? Is it a case of they contact and they send a video? I mean, I've seen, you've seen the videos on YouTube, 150,000 people going, look how great I am. Here's a highlight of me playing one game of football where I did a Cruyff turn and I passed it. Or is it, in cricket, there's a lot of an analysis around statistics. Obviously, cricket has been a lot um, easier statistically. How do how does the club at Wimbledon recruit? Good question. We 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 recruit via our contacts and our group of staff. So we've got um, Ben Fossini, who's the head of talent ID at the academy. Um, he, he's I suppose leads on the the identification stage, but using all our contacts and our resources. Um, you know, you do get players proposed to you and, and recommendations and stuff. And then it's within our, what, what we do, we bring it back to the table and, you know, align it with what we need, what we don't need. Is that something we're looking for? Um, and then it all starts to come out. What, what we do have is a team of 14 um, volunteer scouts that work across London. So they're at games every weekend, two, three games a week. Um, and alongside that, you know, you do build a reputation and contacts within the game. So, you know, if, if Chelsea are releasing um, players, you know, they, they'll contact us and say, Mike, you know, I think these are players that might be worth a look. Ultimately, when players do get released, they're getting released for a reason. So it's not to say just because they're coming from Club X, they're going to be better than what we've got. Um, and the problem with data and stuff like that is it's all output related, isn't it? So yeah, of course, yeah. So has made how many shots or goals he's made. But what what data doesn't um, measure is, is personality and grit and resilience and, and, and stuff like that which is stuff that we hold um, really highly here in the academy. So you can't really go off data and you can't really go off recordings. Like I said, um, I, I always say no one no one ever sends you a bad video of them playing football, do they? And if I <laughs> if I pick my bit, my best bits together, I'll, I'll look half decent myself. So it's, it's what you do is you, you, over time, you build contacts, you know, people that you trust. Um, Occasionally, you do get, you know, an, an agent or a scout who, who promises your next best thing. And I suppose what, you know, it's within our interest to go, OK, if he's as good, if you're saying you've got 10 players, send in your best one and then we'll judge you off that. Because if your best one's nowhere near it, then, you know, it probably says a lot about the others. Um, so, yeah, it can be quite messy and chaotic, but it's also important to remember, you know, we, we, we thought we've got a good programme here. We thought we've got talented boys and, you know, we it's very easy to look outside and, you know, how do we recruit and stuff. But, you know, there's also a, a, a huge tariff within the academy of maximising who we have in the building already. Um, like I said, if, if a player's getting relegated, not relegated, so if a player's getting released, it's, it's, there's a reason why he's getting released. And we trust our programme. You know, we have belief in our players. Yeah, we sign players. And I can give you, the, you know, the numbers of the amount of trialists and players that we've signed over the last 12 months. But what's probably more of a priority for us is that we we recognise and we develop and maximise the players that we've already got in the building. You know, so you have Jack Curry's who's been here since eight, nine. Rudy was there since 12. Ayub, 12. Um, if along the pathway, Arsenal came in and said, oh, you know, I don't know, Ayub's 15 and they said, we've got a player who's 15 and just, you know, we're releasing him, but he, he does this, that and the other. What does that say about our, our Ayub's or our Jack Curry's or Anthony Hartkin? So, um, you know, we, we probably... Is that honesty, Mike? Are they, will, will Club come up and say we're releasing this guy, I'll tell you the reason why, is he hasn't got a right foot or he is a hothead. Do they, when a, when a player is released and they put them forward, do they 
is the is the quality of feedback that you're given or the information is it reliable or is it often like do you know what we want to give the kid a, a game so you have to kind of do you, do you know John someone I'm trying to get at is trying yeah, to yeah. how is it is it quite honest is it quite an honest fraternity within if you're releasing somebody and Stephen is coming would you be honest enough to say do you know what he's not fit enough or would you be like, well, actually, no, he's got a good bit like a reference. He's got a good left foot. He works hard, etc. Is there quite a good honesty amongst the the, the academies? Yes, because ultimately, especially in football, you're, you're judged on your reputation, right? So if I've seen, if Chelsea sent me three players, if someone from Chelsea sent me three players and we've not signed any, then I'm not listening to the fourth or fifth one, am I? So no. people have to be, it's, it's within everyone's best interest, including the players, I must highlight not to waste anyone's time and be completely honest. Um, every academy looks for something different. Some academies do straight away. If a boy has been released from a cat one, cat two, we'll just sign him straight away, which is, which is fair enough. That's, that's their ethos. Um, but we're not like that. So it, it is based on the strength of your relationships and who you're talking to. But yes, yeah, within everyone's best interest to be as honest as possible for, for the benefit of everyone. Michael, how do you keep, say, players' feet on the ground? Because obviously... Everyone watches the TV now and you, you, the money that's going into football. Uh, one of the biggest things I had when I was, I was coaching youth level, like proper low level coaching, uh, and some of the parents I had to deal with coaching was just off the scale. And this was under 13 Sunday football. How do you, how do you deal with that? And, and a lot of footballers, the young footballers now even have agents. How do you keep their expectations in line just to say, look, this kid's going to be, it could be good. But he needs to do this, or do you, or is it just straight right? If they don't follow our processes or procedures, then we don't want them at Wimbledon. Yeah, we do have processes that if they're not followed, we don't want them. You know, you, you one thing I think as an academy manager and as a development program is you have to have the control, and and that's not me trying to be dictatorship or anything like that. But you know, we feel we're good enough, we're strong enough, we have a, a proven track record that, um, you know, we, we feel we do the right things. That is not to say that we won't get the player to where he hopes he can get to. And, you know, no one would be happier if he goes on and, you know, plays for Real Madrid and, you know, mm. all of that. You know, no one would be happier, but you're not there yet. So, you know, whilst you're here, whilst you're, you're, you're registered with us, you follow our programme. Um, the best way for that to come across is you need to educate the players, you need to educate the parents, and you need to educate the, 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 the agents, you know. If that's a player's support network, then everyone needs to be aligned with where that player is at. Now, the thing in football, everyone thinks they're an expert. And, you know, you, you do get your mum and dad going, oh, you know, yeah. I think this is better. Yeah. And you're like, OK, well, what players have you developed? And it's not as straight as that, but you kind of have to get around. Look, you're his mummy's dad. You know, he's your baby, um, you know, and you love him more than anything. And in your eyes, he's the best thing ever, which is fair enough. And we appreciate that. However, for his football, what you're judged by as a parent, is how he applies himself. You know, does he, is, is he enjoying his football? Um, does he give it everything? Does he come in and shake people's hands? And if he's a good person, as a parent, that's what you're going to be judged on. You're not judged on if he's a good player. Let us deal with the player sides. Um, and even when he plays his football, you know, when he jumps in the car, don't say you played good. Don't say you played rubbish. Don't talk about his football. Just say, did you enjoy yourself? Did you work hard? Um, what did you learn today? You know, what, what could you have done better? Make it more question-based. Do not give your opinion because you could undo a lot of the development and, and stuff that we're trying to do behind closed doors. Um, you could really work against some of the messages that he's getting 
and that's not what it's about, you know. And we try and be 100% honest. Um, like I said, a, a lot of you see a lot of parents play the game for their son or for their daughter. Oh, um, that TV show, Mike, on the on Sky. Uh, forgive me for cutting in, but I was watching it the other day, and the guy was doing my nutting. The guy who had the kid, and they, he went for the guys who don't know. There's this this program on Sky, which has got women on it, and a couple of episodes, and the the dad is super super keen. And he tried, he eventually, I think he ends up taking the kids to Portugal. I haven't seen the last episode, but it, it must be really difficult. Like I said, I mean, like I said, I've been a Wimbledon fan for ages when a Mansfield and, and social media has been mental after the last game. We've had a player, you know, sent off, managing expectations, people understanding the, like the holistic approach to the game. It must be very, very difficult when you've got a parent in front of you, like you said, whose son is God's gift. It's, how, how, what are the, like the key learnings or the key lessons that you can give these parents? Like, I know, like you said about, we're, we're the, and the reason why I ask it is I have the exact same question, the exact same conversation with my kids. I've, I've run a first 11 cricket high school and every parent, don't, don't give them any information. There's clarity. We, get, we have a long meeting. This is how we're going to go about our cricket. This is, where, this is our identity. Do you buy into the identity? And you have all that conversation. What are the key learnings, though, that you try and put across to parents in particular? Michael, before you answer that, I just want to... My, my boy was at Wimbledon Academy for a year, I think, before he uh, had to move away. And uh, I got told off by the Wimbledon coaches for tel coaching on the sideline to my boy because he's a goalkeeper. He was only, like, what, 10, 11? And I, I, I used to... I was, Jack, come on, push up, get out, speak. And all that. And they said, look, Lee, can you... Uh, be quiet on the sideline, please, because he needs to make his own decisions and mistakes. <laughs> I got told off. <laughs> no, you do get it. You, you watch boys at the weekend and, you know, they, they play a pass and then they look over to the parents' yeah. side and you're like, oh, you know, yeah. what's going on here? Or, or you know, there's so many horror stories. And I don't necessarily mean Wimbledon, I mean just in football. So, yeah. you know, like, like the story you said with the Portuguese dad and son you know and he's there saying there's no pressure on him you know no you know there's no pressure we want him to enjoy it but we're moving the whole family across to Portugal and it's like oh my what you know um so you've got to educate the parents and there comes you know and what that looks like is some of your conversations have got to be away from the, the, the kid um you know you've got to be honest and open you've got to let them see that everything you're saying and doing is within the best in, in the intentions and you know we're all in it together and collaboratively we can probably get you know Joe Bloggs to where he wants to get to but we you have to be honest that but there does come a time when if the parent isn't receiving these messages and you know isn't doing their side of the bargain then you know th there comes a time when you go well, is this is this working for us because especially for us as, a, as, as an academy you know we know what we're not you know we're not a cat one we're not an arsenal we're not a chelsea but we are what we are and we and we, we embrace it and we try and be more wimbledon and what we can't have is people around the place who are diluting our messages around the place who are diluting our, our environment and our culture so you know we have had it in the past we've had to have uncomfortable conversations with parents because we're saying look we're trying here um and we try to put things in place but it's just not working and what ends up happening is you do end up coming to an agreement where you know, a parent just says, "Look, okay, look, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna step away and you know, not come and watch so and so's game or something." And I need to highlight: it's, it, it, we're not working against anyone. We're trying to make sure that we yeah. put a player in the centre. You know, we put a player in the middle of it all and go right. What's best for him? And as a parent, your role is to make sure you know the messages are consistent. You're talking about him and how he applies himself from a, from a personal perspective. Leave the football to us. We wouldn't tell you how to be a parent. 
you know. Um, but when it comes to football and development, trust me, what whilst you think you're being helpful and whilst you think you're being a positive influence, you, you know, there's a there's a potential here that you're having the um, complete opposite impact. Michael, I have not a big issue with academies. I have like slight issues with. I live in Southend, and Southend have uh, their academy team, which are quite a decent decent side. And then under that, they have like about five or six different academies, like Shadow Squad, Shadow Squad Reserves. And then you talk to the parents like on a Sunday or stuff, and you see them, they're like, oh, my boy is at Southend. And you ask them, and they go, he's the Shadow Squad. We pay 40 quid a month to play. And it's like, well, you, your son's not really in the academy then. And also you look at stuff across the board with Chelsea. Chelsea have, what, 100 players in their academy, uh, and they just stockpile players how how do you deal with that as a Wimbledon academy where you're trying to get the best players but you're trying to compete against now like there's academies not like foot there's football academies being run by ex-players there's coaches now who just got their coach level one badge trying to open a, like a soccer school soccer academy do you know what I mean yeah. it's just blown up for when I was a kid there was literally no academy you, you had one elite academy and you didn't really join that until you were, what, under 14s, under 15s. Like People like John Terry and people like that were playing for Semrabs and Brimsdown Rovers until they got spotted at an age where they could uh, be more into an adult game. How do we compete against all that kind of stuff that goes on? Official academies are like the licences granted by the Football League and Premier League. So... Like you said, if, if you're paying for football, you're not in an official academy. What what does sit under a lot of academies and what is an arm of each club is, you know, the community section and the foundation yes. section, which is more soccer schools. The, the word academy has, it's thrown around so much and it's overused. Mm. When you break it down, there can be no more than 92 academies in this country, you know, plus maybe one or two extra because, you know, clubs have been relegated to the conference and, you know, they're trying to work their way back up. But yeah, uh, if I just give you a ballpark, you know, there, there are no more than 95, 96 professional academies in this country. However, a lot of people attach the word academy to what they do. And like you said, they do sell dreams. Um, I know there's a lot of negative press coming up regarding academies, but I also feel, you know, there's a lot of positive stuff that, um, that academies do if done right. The professional academies, I need to highlight, I think do do things the right way and they do give boys, the, you know, the experiences and, and, and the memories that will live with them forever. And, and, you know, alongside that, there is a lot of holistic development that, that goes into players outside of football. So, you know, we aren't selling boys' dreams. We're not making promises. But what we are saying is when you enter the academy, you will leave at some stage. You'll either go into the first team and leave the academy and you, you would have fulfilled your aspirations of being a professional footballer. You'll either get sold um, and, and you'll go on and, you know, you take on the next step of your career or at some stage you will be released. And, you know, by signing this bit of paper, everyone agrees that at some, you know, you're going to go down one of these three routes. Um, development isn't linear. Um, if you get released, it's not the end of the world. But what I can promise you is if you're here for one year, three years or 10 years, you're going to have memories and experiences that you wouldn't have outside of um, acad professional academies. You're going to receive elite elite development and elite coaching. You're going to receive holistic um, development and holistic co coaching. And like I always say to a player and a parent, when, when we sign a player, my job isn't to make your son a professional footballer. My son is to give him, my job sorry, is to give your son the best environment possible to maximise his potential. And if that lasts for 18 months, and it lasts for 18 months, 
as long as we're honest along the way, we have our processes in place, we're having good, honest conversations, and we do everything outside to make sure, you know, he's working towards his targets and we're, you know, we're trying to stretch him in his development. I, I'm happy with that. Your, your, your responsibility as a parent is to make sure he comes in, attacks his goals, um, you know, and, and, and grabs the opportunity. And football isn't for everyone. You know, there's only, there's 92 football clubs that play foot, professional football on a, on a weekend. That's what, 11 players each team. I'm testing myself here. That's less than 2,000 players that yeah. play professional football on a weekend. But there's millions of boys that want to be footballers. Mm. You know, if, if, if I apply for Harvard, I've got a 96% chance of not even getting a, of, of my application not even being processed. You know, if it was easy, everyone would do it. Yep. Um, so you are almost trying to achieve the unattainable. But that's what you sign up for. Um, yeah. You know, you know, especially your Cat Ones, your Chelsea's and your Man United. You know, some of the experiences they take, they take their boys to countries and to places that the boys didn't even know existed. And for some of these boys, it's the only time they ever go to these places in their life. You know, how how amazing is that? Um, so I do know academy football gets gets a, a negative press at times, but there's so much positive stuff that we do. Um, you know, is it one- quite tricky, Mike, in terms of when you've got a good player and obviously. Uh, that let's use Ben Cox as example. Ben Cox, who's the go- the keeper went to um, Brentford? Matthew Cox. Matthew Cox. Sorry, Ben Cox. I went to school with. <laughs> there you are. That's awkward. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so someone like Matthew Cox, or um, you've got um, no, there's a whole host of other guys who are there. It must be a weird sort of balancing act where you've got a young keeper or a young player. And you're like, wow, I've put a lot of investment into a player, and you get him to the point where he can play first team football. I guess from your angle. It's kind of a weird one. You as an academy manager and us as a club, that end bit is quite interesting because obviously you're desperate for them to play at the best level they possibly can because it's a good outcome for you if they go and play for Brentford and they're worth a lot of money and they're on the bench in the Premier League. But your employer is AFC Wimbledon and they're not playing in the first team. Is it kind of a weird Is it, is it a weird headspace when a player leaves leaves your academy system to go to... I'm not, I'm not saying a better academy, but uh, an academy that is higher up in the in the pyramid. Is it Ooh. is it a conflict of interest, or or are you quite happy with that? It's part of the job. So yeah. you know, I've, I've had honest conversations with the club, and I need to highlight the club aren't out to sell our best young players. They're, they're not, but you know, um, ultimately there are there's context that is needed in, in each situation. So if you use Matthew Cox as an, I'm just going to use him as an no, absolutely, yeah, absolutely, yeah. If there's a young keeper in the first team doing as well as him, only one goalkeeper can play. If Matthew Cox wants to play now, then, yeah, we have a decision to make. Um, And, yeah, the club's intention is never to sell our best youngsters. But, again, similar to what I just said about, you know, the players, as part of the academy, we're going to release boys. We're going to stretch boys and push boys beyond their own beliefs and their own, you know, what they thought was possible. Um, We're going to sell players along the way. Yeah. And alongside that, we're going to have boys like your Jack Curry's, like your Ayuba Cells, who are going to make it. So, um, you know, we, we, we've actually sold, we can't publicise every player that we sell and stuff, but we've actually sold five players in the last 12 months from the academy. And a wow. lot of people, you know, it's a shame. And I'm like, it is a shame. But at the same time, we've just signed five. That's it. But it's also a good feather in the cap for you, isn't it? That you're, you're, the work that you're doing has been lucrative enough for us to have be an appetising option. And like you said, that must bode well because those five potential suitors come back again because they know that you're doing a good job. So it's kind of a, a weird one, isn't it? Where, yes, you, you're doing your job because they're better footballers. We don't get the end product per se, but down the line, the reputation precedes it, which is quite 
it's just a, I think it's quite an interesting, it must be a really interesting headspace. It is. And like you said, you know, we do get frustrated because we don't see the end product, you know, and, and that is frustrating. However, it says something about our program. Yeah, absolutely. Identified. If, I don't know, I'll just use, um, if, if X club are signing two or three of our players, then it's within their best interest to maintain their relationship with us. So going back to your earlier question, you know, if they do release two or three players, now all of a sudden they might bring them back to us because they know, you know, we've got a good development model. Um, so, yes, it is frustra- frustrating. It's very frustrating, but it's part of the job. And, yeah. you know, when we did sell a Matthew Cox and when we have sold, a, you know, a Jack Rodoni or, or whoever, of course, your initial response is, ah, frustrating. However, we've also signed five boys on pro contract. Jack Curry goes and scores in his debut. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, if, if Jack Curry goes and does what he does week in, week out for the next year, wow, you know, what, what a talent we've got on our hands. Yeah. You know, we also know we've got other players that will come up. We also know in the next 12 months, we're going to lose some more players. We, we, we know that. Um, but it's a measure of our programme. The, the, the alternative is our players aren't getting identified by other clubs. The alternative is our players aren't good enough to be signed. So what does that say about our programme? So, yeah, it's, it's, not, it's, it's not something you welcome. It's not something, you know, you, you get excited about when you lose a player. But it's, it's, it's part of the, the industry and the role that we're in. Michael, on the flip side of that, because obviously, as I said, with Matthew Cox and people like that, you must be sitting there proud that these players are now going on to Brentford. He's just signed a six-year deal. I think he will pay for Plough Lane when he goes to Man U or someone like that in the future. You've got Castle Dyne, who's now at Chelsea, who's doing really well. And and proud of that. How frustrating is it from your point of view and the academy and the coaches that you hear fans giving players like the youth team players stick like Anthony Hartigan, for example, I use him because he came on uh, for 23 minutes last night and he got a little bit of stick from women fans that he wasn't good enough. Do, do you find that part of the game really hard to, or again, is it just part of the game or do you, do you take that personally that you think actually this kid is a decent footballer? I've seen him week in, week out and, and fans are just obviously fickle, fickle football fans. Yeah, the most respectful way, um, there are a lot of fickle football fans, and that's not me being rude. Um, you know, you've got one of them. no, 100%. No, yeah, not being rude at all. Just go on no, Facebook. You've got, <laughs> you've got a player who's um, he makes a professional debut. He, he, you know, he has to go make his professional appearance in front of thousands of people. He's going to make mistakes, he's going to have ups, he's going to have downs, but he's being judged every week. You know, he's, 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 a, he's in a team that, you know, I, I wouldn't say we're thriving each week, you know, and that's going to have an impact on his mental state and his, and his confidence and stuff. Um, and that has a knock-on effect on his on, on his performance. What I can say of Anthony is, you know, he, he was someone who absolutely five six years ago loved the club. You know, five six years ago, um, his aspirations were to go and lead this team out to Plough Lane. And you know, you, you'll be pushed to find another twenty two year old in this country who's got one hundred and fifty games or whatever under his belt. Um, and he's not even peaked yet. You know, and I, I don't, yeah, I'm not. I was a bit disappointed too hear that he went to another League Two club, I'll be honest with you. Um, but I do know at 24, 25, 26, you know, when he starts peaking, he could look very different. Um, and that, that that's not just the same with Anthony, that's the same with all the, You know, Jack Curry's going to have a dip at some stage, you know. Um, they're, they're all going to have dips. Ayub, you know, and it's, it's part and parcel of the world that they're stepping into. But all I will say from a fan's perspective is, I, I promise you now, like all, all these boys... There's nothing more they want than to make you guys happy. You know, there's nothing more they want to 
then 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 to hear you guys cheering on 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 the weekend and to re- be representing the yellow and blue. Um, but mm-hmm. at the same time, you you got to see what's around them. You know, you got to see the environment that they're in. And you know, last season there was a stage when Anthony was the most productive midfielder outside of the Premiership or something. You know, so that goes to show what can happen at a stage. But then you know, a flick of a coin, form drops, confidence drops, and he's looking half the player. So it's a lot more complex than people think. Um, no, and yeah, but yeah, sorry, go ahead. no, no, yeah, no. And, and Anthony's an you know, yeah, and Anthony was. Um, you know, he made his debut at 17. Hmm. You know, I think he's still one of the youngest debutants. So, um, yeah, the, the impact the fans can have, you know, needs to be considered. And, you know, these boys are learning on the, in, on, on the job. Um, they're learning in front of thousands of people. But I, I promise you, you know, if, if you give them nothing but positive vibes through the ups and through the downs, I, I really do think you'll get it back. No, I totally agree. And I think, like, with the result against Mansfield, I think we just need to be patient that the fact that we have got a very young squad, even the players that we've got coming in on loan, people like Paris, uh, people like that, this is the first time he's played men's football. And we have to be patient with these young kids because we're not a massive club who can go out and spend loads of money. We have to have the Jack Curries. And I've met Jack Curry up in Hartlepool and he absolutely loves it. He was singing along. He was loving every minute of it. And I think... The only problem with men's football to academy football is patience. There isn't a lot of it, as, as you probably know. I was just yeah, curious, no, Mike. I've got my after you. Sorry, I'm buttoning. Go on. No, no, patience. Patience. Um, yeah, no, the, the one thing people haven't got, the one thing we'll judge by the weekend is the result, isn't it? And there was, mm. you know, two, three, you know, no one's stupid. Everyone knows what two, three bad results does, especially from a fan's perspective. Um, but no, with the young players, we do, we do need to be a little bit patient. And, and what, what you said there is spot on. What, what, what is also important, especially when you're developing young players, is that you surround them with experience and know-how um, because it's not all going to be linear. And uh, I felt, you know, without being rude, in the last 18 months or so, we've, we've, we've put kids in teams with kids and expected mm-hmm. them to lead. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, totally that's agree. Not how it works, you know, that's not, that's not how it works. And, um, you know, the, the best environments ha- have a mixture the best environments do have, you know, have a, a few older heads, so to speak, who have been there, done that, can lead the boys, can, um, you know, add a different perspective, put their arm around them, also let them know when standards ain't, standards ain't been good enough. Um, and that's how you maximise talent and, and potential. Um, Mike, just curious, I, I, I genuinely don't know, is it expensive to, like, have... So I know, like, you are talking about Jack Curry being with us since uh, X amount. I mean... Is it expensive if you were to track an under eight? And I don't, and, and maybe you'll be able to elaborate. I wonder how many boys from an under eight would go all the way through to the to the end and then sign. Is there like, you know, is it is it quite expensive for us as a club to monitor, support, train a boy from under eight up to eighteen? Um, and are there many boys that go all the way through, or is it mainly a case of right under eight? then he'll go and almost for someone to go from a very young age to the end seems incredible. Yeah, I suppose it is. It adds up, doesn't it? Um, yeah. From a cat free perspective, I think it probably works at about, we've done this years ago. It could be between five and eight grand a year per player because we've got over 100 players. Yeah. Had them, you know, so you multiply that by X and yeah, it, it, it's it 40, does 50 grand, isn't it? Yeah, but then you think, you know, but then I could throw it at you. Well, how much is, uh, how much is a, player who comes in and gets signed as a senior player and doesn't contribute and then Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> you know so you know there is that perspective as well um 
do many players make it all the way through? No, it's hard. Um, but it does happen. So if you look at the current boys that we just signed on the pro contract, uh, Marcel signed at 16, um, Ethan signed at 16, Kuster signed at 13, Josh signed at 15, Ben signed at 12. So that, you know, on the face of it, okay, all a little bit older. But no, because we know in the group below, we have got a lot, of, we've, got a, we've got an under-18s group at the moment that, you know, by the time it comes to their decision time and them getting pro contracts, a lot of them have been with us since seven and eight. So it will look very, very different. I can promise you that. So it, it, it works in, um, it's not one rule. You know, no. there, are, it, there are different groups that look very different. Um, and yes, we've been our best, you know, I, ideally we want boys that have been there since seven, eight and all the way through. But like I said, you know, I, I just saw the under 18s, the England under 18s team, they're out in the tournament at the moment and two of those boys were at Wimbledon. Um, but the fans will probably never know that because we lost them along the way. Um, yeah. And that's the unfortunate thing. And, and ultimately, you know, if you go by the summer, we lost Archie Stevens and Leon Chiromi, mm. um, two very talented young men. But now we have to replace them. Um, you know, so now you're replacing them with players who are coming in at 15, 16, 17. And all of a sudden it looks like you're, okay, well, you're signing them when they're older. Well, no, the context is we had someone, but we lost yeah. them. Um, so, yeah, there's, it's, it's not one story, I suppose. And, um, yeah, there, there's context required. And how many, how many in the squad, Mike? Uh, it depends. With the 18s, we've got, um, we've got about, we, we, we average about 16 to 20 players. Um, wow, in the that's team. small. Yeah, no, we try and go small because we try and keep a pathway open so that younger boys can play up. Um, because it's important to see that, for them to see that there is a pathway. Um, and we don't just talk it, we walk it as well. Yeah, it's um, interesting. With the 16s, yeah, you're probably looking at a group of, it, it can average, you know, um, but between 13 and 18 again. Um, and 15, probably, yeah, but I suppose between 10 and 14. So, so, so it changes. And if, if, if we know, as example, we've got a really exciting under, le under 15 left back, then we won't pit anyone in his way. We'll keep the pathway open so that we can keep stretching him and pushing him unless something special comes along. So, it, you know, it does, it does require context. At the same time, if you've got an under, under 18 striker, under 16 striker, and the 15 strike, I mean, they're all quality. Well, then, you know, it's within our best interest to develop and maintain with them all. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's different. It's different for each position in each age group. Well, I think I've got some questions from fans, but before I go on to them, I just want to, your point there regarding some players that have gone on that people might not have been aware of. And one of the big ones I think was for us was Patrick Roberts. We had Patrick Roberts up until he was 14 and then he went to Fulham. Then he went yeah. to Man City and he's been now at Celtic and now Sunderland. Uh, I think people should do research of the players that we've lost over the years through our academy, even as Wimbledon FC, just before the move. We had some, I think Zaha was with our, our youth team before the move to Milton Keynes. Do you know what I mean? So it's, we had, we've had some great, excellent players who have gone through our academy and left before they've made it kind of thing. Yeah, Kieran Gibbs. Um, there's loads of players and... I'm not just saying it. If, if, if you ask anyone, apparently, like in South, especially South London, like Wimbledon were the prominent academy. Yeah. I know it started to formalise in the early 90s and, you know, it's all changed. But no, back in the day, Wimbledon were very prominent in, in youth development in, in London. So, so I've got a couple of questions from fans. So the first one's from Harvey Everard, which is Matt Everard's son, which just yeah. blows my mind that Matt Everard's son is a Wimbledon fan. 
So he must be, what, 14th now? And yeah, it just blows my mind that Matt Everard, who I was cheering on, scoring goals for Wimbledon, his son now supports AFC Wimbledon. But he wanted to know, who is the biggest up-and-coming talent in our academy at the moment? If you can answer. Uh, they're all quality. I, I can't <laughs> answer that. Um, I was going to say, that is a rough question. Yeah, I, I can't answer that. But I, do, you, I do, you see, do you see another one, two, three breaking through into the first team? This season, not the boys are already part of the. Do you see them coming from down to 23s or 19s? Do you see one or two breaking into that first team in the next year or two? In the next year or two, yeah. In the next year or two, um, yes. I can't say they'll go in and stay in. I think they'll go in and feature and, 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 and you know, play a part. Um, but again, you know, the, it, yeah, they've all got a chance. And I'm not just saying it, you know. Um, for me, the big, the most important thing is that they that they attack the opportunity they got, and they maximise, you know, what's in front of them. Um, but I honestly do feel, you know, if if I sat, you know, if you look at Ben Mason, Ben Mason, and I don't think you mind me saying this, he was a player who every year got told Ben, if you don't work on this and you don't work on that, you know, it's going to be tricky for you, you know. And every single year, he just got given a target, he got dangled a carrot, and the the young boys absolutely smashed his targets um and you know on, on days where games and sessions were being cancelled he was out in the park you know in the snow with sleds on his back run like absolutely and i promise you like um doing everything and more doing research into how we can better recover after games and what he needs to eat in between games because he's got only 48 hours and and, and not two three four days like and he, he, he was just an absolute learner and it accumulated to him last year, captaining the under 18s to their first ever title. Um, and if you speak to any boy about Ben, you know, Ben was a, he's, he's a cultural architect, um, but his development wasn't always linear. So, you know, when, when I say it's down to boys to apply themselves and attack their goals, I, I, I do mean it, you know, mm. so, um, you know, we could have an under 13 who's absolutely quality on the pitch but if his attitude's wrong you know by the time he's 16 we could be having a very different conversation uh, George Brown uh, asks what goes into the process of selecting under 18s who get their pro contracts yeah so what we do along the whole pathway so this includes I'll, I'll go down to under nines is every six weeks or so we sit down and we just you know we review the players we map out potential squads and you know what players are struggling what players are doing well what players need to do to kick on um so it's a continual process um of course it intensifies when they get to under 18s because um you know you're talking about a pro contract but it's not it's not a decision of one person you know it's, it's, it's not it's not just how you feel in the day there is a process that goes in place that's probably started two three four years ago um alongside that you know when the first a new first then he's obviously going to have an opinion on the player and, you know, it's within everyone's best interest where possible we try and get them in front of. And then all that goes into the decision-making. Um, but, yeah, meetings happen every six six weeks or so. Um, we're, we're honest and frank with the players about, you know, where we see their development and progression and what they need to work on. And it's continuously measured. It's continuously reviewed. Um so, yeah, I hope that answers your question. Yeah, and the last one from Adam Mercer. Is there an empathy, emph, emphasis on giving players second chances after being released from, say, Premier League academies? 
Yes, it is a, it's something that we do. Um, we do have a, 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 a process in place where when a player gets released from another academy, we, we look at them. Um, at the same time, we don't bring them straight into our groups because like I said before, you know, there's a reason why they're getting released and, you know, we've got to maintain our own culture and identity. However, it's within everyone's best interest to make sure we're not passing uh, an, an opportunity there. So, yeah, we do look at players that get released. You know, if, again, if I look, if I use a lot, the first, if I use the current five boys that just signed their contracts, Ethan was um, previously at Crystal Palace, Kwayne Bartley was previously at Tottenham, um, Josh Hallard was previously at um, Brighton. So you've got three out of five there who were at some stage on the on the books of another academy so yes it is an emphasis but it's not a it's not a just because they've been released from another academy they they've got to come in type thing okay um, last question for me because we're coming up to now if me and danny have one more question each is that okay Michael? yeah because we don't want to keep you too long even i could chat to you for hours to be fair uh my last question to you is where do you see yourself and where do you see the academy going? Is there anything? Are you looking to? That's possibly... my question. That's great. That's the same question. <laughs> was it yours as well? I was literally like, "Where is the academy? What's the next step?" So you're where, on it. What yeah. I'm... Where's the next? Uh, do you see yourself doing a robo and becoming first team manager in a couple more years, or where where do you see yourself and where do you see the academy going? Sorry, Dan. Dan. Gosh. Two months. No. So the, from the academy perspective, um, one thing we did, especially when the club got relegated and robo you know, left the club. I thought it was important from my role to get everyone in and go, right, you know, we need to kind of, re not reset, but realign where we're going because there was a little bit of emotion and frustration and, and all of that and more. So we sat down and we, I can't say reset, but we realigned where we want to go and what success looks like over the next three years. Um, and that process started in, yeah, April, May. Um, and we're now at a place having started our new season where it's all, being brought together and, and, and confirmed. Um, so now our job is to make sure the staff that work under us from an academy management perspective is, you know, is fully aware of what success looks like and, and we've realigned our goals and objectives and, you know, over the next 12, 36 and 36 months, you know, even five, 10, not five, 10 years, you can't really look that far ahead, but what we're working towards um, is clear. And for myself, it's, it's an interesting one because if you, if you go back years ago, I was a coach. I absolutely loved coaching. Um, but the last five years, I've become, yeah, less on the grass and more, you know, in the office, you know, more strategic, more planning and organising. And, you know, I really enjoyed my time last year because when James Oliver Pierce went up to the first team, I took over the 18th for the second part of the season. And um, I do love coaching, but naturally when you're on the grass and your focus is there, you're taking your focus away from somewhere else. So I'm, I'm a bit of a, I'm, uh, it's a conversation I've been having over the last couple of months about, you know, where I see myself. Um, Robbo was very hands-on, very, Robbo was on the grass. He was a coach, you know, that was, that was his office. Yeah. Um, hence why if you go back a few years ago, we had to um, restructure things and, you know, his title had to be changed. Um, so, yeah, I think I'm going Is there the a lot person. of training, Mike, in there, by the way? Do you, when you're moving from the grass, because obviously the grass you do your, your training, to go sort of back of house, is there a whole host of other things that you've got to kind of learn or is it just the things that you pick up along the way and then you decide how you want to do it? Because analysis yeah, so, must be mental, uh, like the updating analysis, video analysis, statistical analysis. Then you've got, like, you know, I know Robbo spoke about 
player sort of doing almost like a behavior or a personality profile and stuff there must be it must be endless and you know we've got people like steve salis talking about that the set piece coaches there must be so much do you have to learn all this or is it a case of almost like opening up and right i've i've, I've you know like good coaches are magpies they take bits and pieces of other people and they put it themselves but was there a lot to learn or was it just a case of implementing stuff that you've picked up along the way um there's, I think there's two sides to that question. So the first side is, yeah, I, I do think there's an element of you pick up bits along the way. So if you talk about psychology, you know, I, I think probably the best two psychologists in the premiership at the moment are Klopp and Pep, right? Um, you talk about Sir Alex Ferguson. He told me he wasn't a psychologist, so he might not be a, a qualified psychologist, but he, he had more of an impact than psychologists. So that's obviously been done by what they picked up along the way and putting it together and um, so there is an element of that, but in terms of what you've said about, you know, to training to, to, to transfer from the grass to in the office, about 12, 15 years ago, when the English FA and the Premier League were looking at the national team and why they kept failing, they started to put things in place to make sure um, that the development programme in this country was right, because we as a, as a nation put millions of pounds into our, our, our youth development programme, a lot more than Spain, Germany, Italy. But at international level, we fall so or we fell so far behind. Yeah. So about 12, 15 years ago, they said, right, we've got it right. In terms of, we're putting a lot into the development programme and there's a lot into developing the players. But who's developing the people who are developing the players? So about 15 years ago, they had a bit of a revamp and they started to look at you know, they, they looked at their courses. Um, they looked at being very specific with certain roles and the training they needed. So when I became head of coaching about five years ago, I was put on a personal development um, program that I had to do because it was part of my role. And every head of coach in their club had to do the same, where they looked at how I led people, how I pitched, um, what, the what the strategy looked like and how do you put that together and what is planning. And you know, if you're working towards objectives and goals, what does that look like? What are the process? So you do get a lot of training. And um, that, that started to ramp up about five, six years ago in terms of head of coaching. And about three years ago, they've done the same with academy managers. So for the last three years, I've been, I've been studying. I've, in I've the books, go on, son. Yeah, I've been studying. I've been, I've been with the Premier League and um, you know, I've been very fortunate. You spend time with like Jason Wilcox, who's the academy manager at Man City. Yeah, yeah I think he was Man City. Yeah, I remember that. Nick Cox, man, you're not, obviously different worlds, absolutely different worlds. But, you know, you're, you're around experts. Um, they go, Mike, you know, you're strong in these areas, but we think you might need development in these areas. So, you know, it might be financial expertise. It might be um, leading others. It might be, might, you're very, it, it might be you're very good at develop, um, leading downwards, but you're not influencing the club or managing upwards well enough. So they, they put a plan in place that is specific to your needs. And that's what I've been doing for the last three years. And, but that's all driven by the FA and Premier League because, yeah, 15 years ago, they, they looked at it and said, we need to sort out our youth development programme because we're falling mm. short of these other nations. Mm. No, I agree. Dan, you have any more questions for Michael? No, I just, it's just, it's really interesting as I think the only thing I would echo and having been at the game yesterday, there was so much unrest and upset about the game. And I was, I was standing near the back with my dad and I was literally standing there thinking, I'm not being funny, but some of these guys in what four months ago were playing for Carson Athletic. You know, someone like David um, was near. Was it? Was it Hampton and Richmond? David Fisher, Jack people Curry like this, Jack Curry, Eastbourne. It's like, what, what? What do you genuinely expect these guys to do 
playing against 10 men in the chucking rain against, you know, a, a Mansfield team, someone like Nigel Clough, he's going to be organized. <laughs> they, they've, they spent, they, you know, they spent a few bob. It was just like, what was, what did you genuinely expect them to achieve in that condition? And why I just, I find it fascinating how, how as an academy, we not only are you sort of, not only are you a coach, but you're a mentor and a supporter, but ultimately trying to educate these boys who then become men to go, right, well, what we're going to do now is we're going to train you how to kick a ball and pass it. Or by the way, now there's 25,000 people screaming at Arsenal. You've got to deal with this and you've got to deal with that. It's, I just find it interesting hearing a little a, a little fraction of the, of the story and, and getting a bit more information, I'm hoping, will allow our fans in particular, to have just to pause a moment when they slag off Magoma because he turns the wrong way or when Curry, he got ruined yesterday, bless him. He, he's, he's been great, but Jordan Bowery, who's an experienced pro, you know, he just did him over, which, which is going to happen. But yep. hopefully, perhaps they're going to, rather than going, that's a negative, they might go, do you know what? He's going to learn a lot from that and actually use the 5-2 yesterday not to be toys at the pram, but do you know what? Our young lads have learned a lot from that and they're going to get better for it. That's what I'm hoping this conversation will will transmit out into the ether, if you like. So, Mike, thank you so much for coming. That was not just interesting, but it was really heartwarming to hear someone like yourself who's got these young lads' interests at heart. Forget Wimbledon, forget the crazy heights of millionaires. You're just a bloke who's in front of other lads who just wants the best for them. That's, I think that's wonderful. So thank you very much for, for coming on. I really appreciate that. Yeah, can I just, um, just on your last point, so about three years ago, we looked at our development program and we said um, we need to fit a, a, a bit. We had we produced players. We had players representing national teams. We sold players, but we had never won any silverware. So about three years ago, we said, right, we need to start producing winners. We need to start producing players who don't like losing, but are used to winning. So when they do, when they do go into the first team, they take that winning mindset and they're able to positively influence the club. But what does winning look like? So that's exactly what you said. So we looked at our games program and said, you know what we need to start doing? We need to start putting them under, uh, we need to start putting them in tournaments where they're playing under the lights. And today they're out. Um, You know, we do need to stop playing in front of 50 50 people on a Saturday morning and get them in front of five, 600 people on a Tuesday night when it's raining and stuff. So, um, yeah, what you what you may have seen um, is over the last couple of years, we've entered a lot more tournaments. We've put a lot more tariff on games and um, the mindset to win. Because like you said, when they do go into the first team, the pressure's ramped up. And, you know, yeah, it's, it's a whole new ball game. So it's, it's our job to try and to strategically put bumps in the road so that they do fail, but they learn from it. And yeah, I, I like to think, like you said, Jack Curry what happened to him yesterday could be the best thing for him. And, you know, in six months' time, he'd be going, oh, look, look he's kicked on again. I mean, yes, it's only because he learnt from that performance on the, on the Tuesday night away to Mansfield. Um, so this will all go, this will all be logged in his memory bank and hopefully will accumulate to better performances. No, I totally agree. And again, Michael, I just echo what Danny said. I, I really appreciate coming on and talking to us. As, as Danny said yesterday, I, Jack Curry, he had a bad game, but then we've got to remember that the game he had against experienced Gillingham, the game he, he went up to Hartlepool and, and, and rinsed their, their right back up there and he, he, he got done yesterday. But then 10 of our players yesterday, experienced pros that have been in the game for years, all got done yesterday. We had possibly one player that, that had a 7 out of 10. The rest of them were below that. That yeah. happens and that's why you lose games 5-2. Yeah. 
but then hopefully they'll all learn from it and and the management will learn from it and we'll move on from that and and that's coming from what they've learned in your academy under your leadership and stuff like that that they can then still do that look at ab he's learned so much from last year like oh my god he's unrecognizable against, the other week against julian in the cup if someone had kicked the ball at him he'd have been jumping up and would have been in a gunner situation where he would have been getting sent off yeah learning yeah. every week not to, to to use his aggression like messi does use his aggression with his skill and just keep getting at the players and then yeah. that, that's how you get it but michael i really appreciate coming on thanks very much no thank you for having me guys and um yeah, let's catch up sometime in the future and, and, and have a little update. Definitely. 100%. Sounds amazing. Well done, Mike. That sounds awesome. Thanks, bud. Take care. Thank you very much. Cheers, Michael. Thank you very much. Danny, it was brilliant. Yeah, like, like really, really good, wasn't it? Just to like listen to what he's saying and, mm. and the way he goes about it. Do you know what the one thing is missing, I reckon? And I wonder whether there is something in this, you know. Um, and I'm really pleased we're still recording, by the way. It's the fact that maybe... Michael Hamilton educating our fans and this might be we spoke about the player and about the player and about the parents and stuff you know what I think there's a there's a big big amount where us as fans and we're all guilty of it but just understanding from this young person's point of view when you put something on social media this is the impact that it has and you as a fan this is what what we could do from what we could benefit from you, I think would be a wicked piece of information. People are going to be, one of my mates said to you, so I said, one, someone said something about one of the players and something. I said, well, I think we need to like lay off his back a bit. And they said, that's a bit rich coming from you. You know me, I, I can get yeah, yeah. his backs quite easy and stuff. But I think we need to, one thing we really need to do as fans is forget about what happened last season. Now. Just forget that. It's a brand new season and a brand new management team. Do you know what I mean? I've seen some things aired at, uh, uh, What's his name? The, the coach. Oh, what's his name? Turvey, Tuvi. Rob yeah. Tuvi. People got to remember that Rob Tuvi is a Wimbledon fan through and through. He was at Sanders. His yeah. dad's been a Wimbledon fan for, since, remember, right? Didn't have a great season last year under Robbo's leadership and stuff like that. But that went on all on Rob, right? Rob's now under two new management and system management and wants to learn. We've got last, last night, as I said, I think 10 players all have bad games. Yeah. I give Josh Davison the uh, pass because he's not Davidson now yeah you're definitely on Davidson right. yeah you've, you've seen the light just Davidson but I felt he can have a pass he scored two goals looked lively maybe NYC but he had to go off but the rest of them all had bad games it will happen at League 2 football yeah. do you know what I mean and people got to forget that last year happened it, it's gone we've won one game we've drawn two and we, we got battered last night yeah and but we did, that's gone now let's get this is the closest I think we can to having a good relationship with the players again. Do you know what I mean? I saw it at Hartlepool. We're all talking to them, laughing with them. We can't have that disconnect again this but year because we'll though, struggle. Lee, and this is, but this is the key bit, which is really, really important to remember, is that we had Hudlin wasn't wasn't on the bench yesterday. I don't know the reason why. Woodyard's injured, and we lost Gunter. Right? There's only they're three of the first 15, 16. Apart from that, on that bench was just kids. Yeah. Just kids and chiselet. So we've got to, as a fan base, recognise we all desperate. I know we all would like to go up, and, and it's important, but just recognise that in this team and squad right now, on a squad base of eighteen players, half nine are probably under twenty-one. And what would you genuinely expect from their first season? It's like it's ridiculous. And then three kids were coming on in really bad conditions. Exactly. Against, it's mental. Uh, as you said, a cluff team, right? Who, who went 2 0 down and looked like they were going to get battered at one point, and then they literally stood up as men and done it. And and it's hopefully JJ's seen this and gone right. 
our, our squad is thin. I need to bring in a couple of players. Oh, we're we need we need to get rid of the dead wood and people that don't want to be here, like the Luke McCormick's. If you don't want to be here, go. Right, we'll use your wages instead. I've heard rumours that Hudlin is injured. I've also heard rumours that Hudlin has been recalled. I don't know really? who that is. Yeah, we, oh, there's can't two. That. Someone too said that he's sure. got groin injury, but then someone said he's been recalled as well. It depends on what injuries Huddersfield have got. Remember, if they've got a couple of injuries, they might be calling him back. They've not started great. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what I've heard. Hopefully no, not. But if he does go back, then that means we need to get another striker. In. Yeah, of course. Yeah. We've still got two weeks of the window, but I think we lost one game this year where we just capitulated. Ten players had a bad game. Get over it. Move on to Crawley. Let's go down to Crawley and beat you. Going Crawley. 50-50 at the minute. I was supposed to be playing cricket. I'm definitely not playing cricket. So I'm I'm kind of I'm hoping to. I'm um, head I'm heading down now. I'm going to be you are. driving down. The trains are screwed. So remember that, people. But yeah, I'm going to be heading down to Crawley. No, I think that's it. I think what you just said is bang on. I think if we can all just try and remember that, and and I'll ultimately put aside the uh, where we. I think the only thing I would ask, I would say, Lee, which would be very very interesting in the next two weeks. We're going to get money for McCormick. We've had money for Hartigan. We've had money from Nesta. We've had the Radoni money. Where where that money is going to go, or where is it going to be reinvested in the squad? That's going to be, I think, on a lot of fans' lips and mouths and, and ears, I, if you like. I, and I, I agree. And I think where that's going to go. I think we we can discuss that once the window's closed and yeah, we, totally we, we're, we're have a better. Like if we then go out and buy Ronaldo, we can go. Well, we know where the money's gone. If we buy yeah. no one, we can go right what is happening and we can then ask that question. But I said on a football front at the moment against Doncaster, we absolutely battered them for 86 minutes of the game. Yeah. For five minutes, it cost us. But that's what happens when you're in League Two. People got to admit that 86 minutes, we were really good. Well, not 86 minutes, but the second half, we were really good. We're now yeah, no, 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 my old man said we were fantastic. We were really good. But yeah, let's not worry about that. Right, no, we're going to... Well done oh, for getting awesome. them on. Well, no, well done for organising Mike coming on. That was it. Um... Was Michael? Michael contacted us and said, "Can he? Can he come?" Oh on? wow! And, and we put out. We wanted to speak to uh, anyone. We we'd speak to anyone at the club. We will speak to anyone at the club. We spoke. Who to... would be the ideal person? I've got one guy that I'd love to put having this podcast, and that's I'd Rocket. Lo- I'd, I'd love to. Sp- I'd love we'd, Rocket. We probably we'd probably better get Rocket. I know Rocket quite well. I would love to have him I'll on. I'm really to... interested in. What you know, he, what I'd love to do. speak to again. I'd Go love on. to get Robbo back on. I'd love to get oh, Robbo right. back on and speak okay. to him and get a proper, full, open, honest oh, interview with him. Mate, that him would be ridiculous. Him have a go at me for being a bit of a prick last year because I know he'd probably say that. But no, I'd but, love to get but, him but again, though, we're open for people who have given their opinions across. If but he wants had, to come on. We had Matt on last week and it was brilliant. And that's where I got the idea of let's get people on. That, like we, We're looking at ex-players, people that have been around the club and, and, and can give their honest views of what's happening and fans. Don't always get the insights. As I said the other day, it was a bit, it's quiet sometimes. We don't always push, say, the women's team, the academy team as a club. Not us. We always push it and then we get stick for it. But then we, do you know what I mean? And then, yeah, hopefully we can do it. But we'll be back. Well, I'll be back on Sunday doing the Sunday debrief after the Crawley game, going through everything that's happened against Crawley. Me and Danny will be back next week. Uh, we don't know what we'll be discussing yet, Danny, but we'll sort that out. Ask us to tell us what you want to discuss. All right. Well, thanks very much, Dan, and I'll uh, see you on Saturday. Toodle pip. Come on, you done. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Wombles Had a Dream podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Wombles Dream and on Facebook at the Wombles Had a Dream. Get involved. By the fans, for the fans. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. 
Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.